0: So you gotta admit, you saw that title, it's provocative, and you're like, I must pushed play, if for no other reason than to hear exactly what that's all about, right? So, I came up with that title today when I took my dog out to the bathroom, because all genius ideas happen when you take your dog to go to the bathroom outside, it's like that's where you have some space to think, I guess, and so with that, I came up with the religiously conservative outrage industrial complex that has been alive and well come June 1st on Pride Month kickoff, uh, it's like all things that need to let a lot of people People group know that we don't support them. We're not with them. We don't understand them. We don't want to accept them. Like all of that was in there and it just didn't disappoint. Like there was all kinds of things under the sun to just say, hey, it's June. A group is gonna talk about their heritage and therefore we need to make sure we let them know that we don't agree with any of their heritage and that's kind of what June has become. To me, it's a little bit like the old bumper sticker fish wars of back in the day where you would put like the Christian fish. So then the Darwinists would put their little Darwin fish with legs. And so then we would put our fish eating their fish and then they would take their fish and it would molest our fish. And there was this escalation of wars and on social media, as soon as June rolls in and it's Pride Month, you just kind of wait to see what's going to come out of the woodwork. And it's going to be the rainbow battles. And we're taking it back for God. And it's all about Noah, who God flooded the planet because everybody's wicked. But they put a rainbow to say, I'll never do it again and celebrate flourishing. But now it celebrates pride. And then they're, they're just battling about rainbows. And, and I'm sitting here kind of on the sideline and uh, it's it spurred me actually to write a rather lengthy article. I'm not even sure when I'm going to be done with it. Um, it's a very open, honest, um, transparent, I think at times heartbreaking article from the perspective of a parent with a gay kid and the perspective of a Christian evangelical pastor parent of a gay kid and how, you know, you, you, you uh, see all this going on and and you kind of realize, like, in the midst of the culture wars, people forget there's real human beings and real human psyches behind a lot of these things. And it just kind of turns into, ah, outrage machine, right? And then everybody piles onto the outrage machine. And then I'm sitting here on the sidelines as one of the 10 percenters. And what I mean by that is roughly 10% of the population uh, is either gay, lesbian, bisexual, trans, whatever it is, kind of fitting in that whole bracket. Uh, and, and, and the families of those people, we're like the 10 percenters. And then the 90% are out there doing battle either for or against, right? Either as allies or as adversaries of... And then I'm like, hey, we're all over here in the middle of this big, huge culture war and it really does inflict wounds. Like, that's kind of what I'm thinking about, right? And particularly, even as a Christian, I go, there are probably so many better ways to interact with this topic uh, that aren't necessarily happening. And so, you know, kind of with that, like I said, I've decided to write this article. Uh, I haven't done a blog in a few years now. It's like very few and far between I do them anymore. Uh, And this one's gonna be long. Like, I'm just letting you know, like it'll be, I think right now it's like five pages long. So as a blog, that might as well be a book. I'm going to have to figure out how to break it all out. And I'm not even to the tipping point yet. So it's just going to be a long thing. But with that said, I thought I'm going to do a podcast on it this week. And by the way, I don't know if I even announced that this is the Everyday Missionary Podcast, episode 274. Yes, it is. I feel like I just jumped right into things and probably didn't highlight uh, what I normally do or start off like I normally do. But that's what this one is, and uh, I've been gone, right? I've been gone for roughly three weeks, I haven't had a podcast for a while, just as a quick fill you in, went to the great land of the UK, went to London, York, Edinburgh, I learned it's Edinburgh, not Burrow, Burra, and I still probably don't even get that right, went to Inverness, went to Isle of Skye, Sky, saw all kinds of things. I realized that in Scotland, uh, castles and ruins are, are as common as like dispensaries in Everett, right? They're just everywhere. You hit a golf ball, you're going to hit an old building in some way, which is really, really cool. Went back to my roots of my homeland. Uh, In the front cover of my Bible, there are now three muddy spots uh, I literally took dirt from the lowlands dirt from the highlands and dirt from the isles and mixed it with water and made little mud blotches in my Bible It's kind of like an heirloom keepsake I'm like that's kind of cool like the heritage of my people inside the cover of my Bible and everything else So went there had a great time gone for three weeks uh, Learned all kinds of things saw all kinds of things Stonehenge not nearly as big as you would think which is kind of weird uh, but the highlands of Scotland especially out on the isles Beautiful place, like one of the most beautiful places in the world you could go. So super, super cool all the way around. But now I'm back and I got on social media and I saw the Rainbow Wars. I saw the culture infighting. And and again, I'm always marked by the fact that, again, I think there can be this like blindness that sets in with the culture wars where, again, like I said earlier, we forget there's real human souls and psyches that bear the image of God behind these culture war things as far as like the people that are targeted in this stuff. And then for me, because I live so close to it, right, Uh, I see it through a different lens. And so I confess, I have a dog in the fight, right? Like I legitimately have a dog in the fight. If somebody says, Matt, you're just not objective for this. I'm like, you're absolutely right. I'm not objective for this, right? I don't know if anybody really is objective, but what I can tell you is I can be very objective on the pain that I can see in this whole context. Uh, And certainly then as I'm trying to then talk to my kids and be like, you know, no, God loves our son and, and and God wants something great for gray and everything else. We're like, well, tell that to your people because out there they don't sound like it. In fact, if anything, they sound like they're very hostile against our, our brother and your son. And like that's, and I get that because I'm like, I agree. It kind of sounds that way too, right? And so maybe this is just more, Kind of educational in some ways, more than anything else today. Uh, and I know many of you who listen to the podcast are like, "Yeah, we don't like these culture wars either." Um, and so I kind of always always hope that this is like a grassroots thing that we get better and better at how we handle our neighbors uh, and we personalize versus kind of depersonalize things because that's the tragedy of kind of the um, the social media landscape is that it's so easy to not it's easy to say a harsh thing because you don't have to look a person in the eye when you say it, right? Like you're so filtered from real human emotional, you see that look on their face that just drops when they go, wow, you hate me, don't you? I see what you said there and you hate me, don't you? Because we don't have to look at them in the eye when we say something that may sound hateful. Um, It's easier to say a hateful thing or to get behind a hateful thing or whatever, or not realize that in saying that it may have a wounding effect that we haven't considered, Right. So with that, I thought, man, I'm just going to kind of talk about this a little bit. So um, as you know, I've always been kind of um, a critic of boycotts and protests uh, and, and things of that nature. Particularly, I don't like boycotts. I don't like the idea of taking Caesar's money and using it to try to force Christian morality because Jesus had a lot to say about Caesar's money and I don't see it as a good tool to force morality, but boycotts are exactly that. And I get when disbelieving people, irreligious people, whatever it is, they use boycotts to get stuff done. Like I totally get it because again, if if this world is kind of your ecosystem of reality, then you're going to use the tools of this world. You know, I I look at those who are Jesus followers and I go, but we're to have this transcendent thing. And I think we're to use grace and love and relationship as the compelling agent of transformation. So when I then see Christians jump onto the wagon of that's right, we're going to penalize people monetarily until they comply morally. And by that, we mean our morality in particular. Um, I always go, I don't think that's very Jesus-like, but boy, it sure draws Jesus's reputation into a non-Jesus-like thing. Like I never see Jesus pulling the boycott stunt. You know, I just really don't see that. Um, Some people say, oh, but he goes into the temple and he flips tables. Well, that's not a boycott. A, like the money stayed, right? He didn't take the money out of the building and say, we're not going to bring money here anymore. In fact, if anything, Jesus goes way out of his way to pay money to people he doesn't agree with, both in the temple tax and he pushes the regular tax to Rome. Like, Jesus like, man, we're not going to have this fight fought by monetary means and and methodologies. No, we're doing this completely different. It's upside down and backwards. We're going to turn the other cheek and go the extra mile and we're going to be those kinds of people. Right. Um, and so it always grieves me when I see Christians running to this kind of thing. Cause I'm like, a, it actually does the opposite of your desired goal. If your desired goal is reaching people for Jesus. If your desired goal is to see people reconnected to God, I guarantee you, this is the inverse of that. This will drive people away from Jesus, gospel, church, Christianity, the kingdom faster than anything else. When you sound like you're just against them and you don't love them. Right. And as I said, as one that kind of inhabits the conservative, Christian, religious, evangelical space, but has a gay kid, I, I catch the nuances way more, right? I I, I catch, like, uh, again, the tone deafness is always apparent to me because I'm no longer tone deaf. I used to be tone deaf. And then I had the circumstance of my life and I'm like, wow, I'm suddenly not tone deaf, but I hear things a lot and I see the things a lot. And then I'm just like, gosh, I feel like there's no way I, I, I we're the, I'm having to paddle up a really swift moving stream, and I don't even know if it's possible at this point to keep paddling. Like The damage may be so done at this point, uh, I don't maybe know even what we can do. So, anyway, uh, the boycotts, right? So, there's always been, like, you know, as long as I can remember, it's been, we got a boycott over, over the kind of the gay agenda is what it was in the eighties and nineties and all the way into the two thousands. There's the gay agenda. We have to stand against the gay agenda. And at that point, culture was probably more on our side of the equation than the inverse, right? So even as recently as like, like, I think it's like 2008, it might've been in California proposition eight that was designed to say, hey, is marriage just between a man and a woman or can it be between two same same-sex peoples? Uh, back in just 2008, in the liberal land of California, it was still voted on by the people that marriage was only between a man and a woman. This is why they even had like the, the Defense of Marriage Act that was being considered to be put into the Constitution there in that same period of time, 2008, ish, right in there, 2006 to 2008, so not that long ago even, liberal places, much less the very constitution was considering just iconicizing that, so it just showed the majority of the culture was not on the side of of everything being super pro-LGBTQ. I mean, even President Obama, when he ran and for initially as president, he didn't support gay marriage, he supported same-sex unions, you might remember all of that, so it's not all that long ago that the majority of the culture was not kind of on the side of the pride, per se, right? Uh, that's a relatively recent development. I mean, honestly, maybe in the last 15 years, you've seen more of that shift, and even that has kind of been a bleeding effect, right? So so for the longest time, you know, the the kind of anybody that was part of the Pride Network or whatever else, they were on the outs with most of culture. And therefore, anytime there was a move to kind of move the needle toward more inclusion or maybe equal rights or, you know, some level of openness to that community, uh, it was oftentimes, you know, the moral majority, the religious right, uh, focus on the family, American Family uh, Association, they would jump on with the boycott. So Disney got pounded. McDonald's got pounded, you know. You name it, ABC got pounded, uh, Hollywood was always pounded. Like those things were there, right? Uh, and, and they've kind of continued, though they've lost momentum. And if anything, what is interesting is that eventually the more irreligious left realized that the tools of boycotting from the religious right were effective and they started to implement those. And so when you get into like the later, like 2007, eight, nine, going into the teens, you suddenly see that liberals began to exercise these boycotts against what they perceived to be kind of homophobic or anti-gay places, organizations, or states. In particular, Indiana, kind of in those mid-teens. It was the weirdest thing when the shift was that Apple and uh, I think it's um, Angie's List and some other companies went, we're going to boycott that state because they want to force reparative therapy on gay youth, right? And you might remember some of that. That was Mike Pence when he was actually uh, in charge there in Indiana. And so there was that whole thing where suddenly you saw the, the flip and it wasn't the Christians that were doing the boycotting. Now it was companies boycotting basically the Christians. That was like a sudden fulcrum moment, you know what I mean? And the way that this all has gone down. And so it's been interesting to see since then kind of how it's played out. And a lot of this stuff I'm going to chronicle in this big article that I'm writing, right? Anyway, fast forward to June 2023, I'm in the UK, in London, I get online and here it comes, right? All the stuff. Um, And obviously in the recent months, there's been a lot of talk about, hey, boycotting Target because they were going to have LGBTQ uh, pride clothing and products or whatever Target, so we're going to boycott that. Then there was uh, Anheuser-Busch and Bud Light teaming up with the transgender social media influencer and so... Uh, then there was kind of the boycott of Bud Light. Um, and 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 then this is the one that makes me laugh a lot more. Uh, apparently here recently, uh, Chick-fil-A has decided to bring in kind of an inclusion and equity officer. And so now Christians are like, we need to boycott Chick-fil-A, the food of Jesus. We got to boycott these things because you know what they want? equity and inclusion for everybody. As though, like, that's the worst thing that could ever be done, that you would want everybody to be treated with equity and inclusion and to be welcomed into a corporate environment. I didn't realize the sin was so great there, right? But that's what happened. So now people are like, we need to go after Chick-fil-A, right? Uh, Disney, of course, has been on the list for a long time because the different things are just notoriously always on our list of boycott. Um, But then this week, The Chosen... The whole production about the life of Jesus was called upon to be boycotted by Christians and conservatives of religious ilk because in a behind the scenes photo of them shooting it, there was like some gaffer, camera guy, microphone dude, whatever it was, who had a little pride flag in his equipment. Uh, And like people don't realize like the the chosen production crew doesn't own all the equipment, own all the people. It doesn't work like that's not how things are produced. Because there's a picture of one dude with one flag on one piece of equipment as they were filming The Chosen, even though The Chosen has always been open about the fact that they actually intentionally hire people of non-faith backgrounds so they can actually be a witness to telling the story of Jesus, um, there was a call from The Daily Wire, right, and Matt Walsh and that whole group to boycott The Chosen, right? And so I'm just kind of going, oh my God. Goodness, what are we doing here, man? Like, there is no stop. When you're going after Jesus' is chicken and Jesus' is storytelling, I don't, this is, again, the outrage machine running at 110%, right? Like, all the pistons are going, and the, the steam and the pressure tank is just piped up. Like, this has gotten crazy. And I go back to as being kind of a spectator from a different point of view, Saying, and if your goal was to let gay people know you really don't like them, high fives all around. Employee of the month, you know, like that, that mission super accomplished, right? You know, and even talking with my son a little bit about it. He's just like, oh yeah, I I, I can't even take that whole thing seriously anymore. It's It's so apparently nutty. Um, yeah, I'm never going to be listening to religious people in this way. You know, like it was just interesting. And I go like, this is so counter to what we're trying to do. And it's so counter to me of what Jesus ought to do. Like Jesus just didn't roll in and be like, I'm here to boycott all the harlots and whores and hookers here in Palestine. Like he didn't do that. He's like, no, I'm going to put together a spread. I'm going to have a meal with them. They're going to chill with me. Right? Like that's what it's going to be. And those tax collectors that everybody hates, I could have a whole diatribe on why tax collectors suck, but instead I'm going to recruit some of them to become my people to go do some stuff with me. So like that's... That's how he rolled, right? So it's just so odd that he would enter an environment and it was the messy people that were attracted to him. It was the religious people who were repelled by him and the religious people who were repellent to others. And I go, man, I, I, I worry so much that American conservative religiosity is so pharisaical in its heart It doesn't even know how to interact with the world around it in a way that could be gravitational, attractive, grace-filled, empathetic, um, can meet them where they're at and love them in their space and build relationship in that context and see what God does there with that. It's like, as much as there are people on the left that, that virtue signaling, and I've seen a lot of that on social media. Oh, June's here, every company is gonna virtue signal and talk about rainbows, and now they're all pro-rainbow, and you should be pro-rainbow too. And I'm like, right, but by you making a big joke out of that or by making some snarky criticism, you're just virtue signaling the other side, right? And so it's, it's just the flip of the same coin. Anti-wokeness and wokeness are both kind of ridiculous outplays. And when I mean ridiculous, I mean they're like antics. They're like grandstanding or it's, it's theater for public consumption that does not advance the gospel, that does not advance Christ, does not advance, honestly, the love of neighbor. Like, you know, like the very things that Jesus said are the big idea. It just doesn't advance that, you know? And so I was thinking about, it. I'm like, you know, the term gets thrown around a lot homophobic and I go, I don't think it's phobic. I don't think it's a fear of homosexuals that people have. I just think it's a dislike right? It's just a distaste of that I think is being communicated, right? So I don't think, again, Matt Walsh is afraid of gays. I just don't think he likes them. He just doesn't like them. And he doesn't want them to have kind of equality in culture, right? You know, just like, no, I know it's America. There should be equality, but maybe less equality for them. The pigs are more equal kind of thing, you know? And so again, for me, I'm coming at this and saying, I don't think it advances the cause. I don't, it don't think it alleviates already deep burdens that many in the LGBTQ environment already feel. I think it adds to the burden more than it lifts any burden. And if you're adding more burden, if you're heaping on loads too heavy to bear, well, that's the Pharisees again in Matthew 23. I mean, that's really what it is. In fact, I got to look it up here. I had a quote that I came across this week that was so good. Um, this is, uh, Melinda Selmis, I think it is in her work called sexual authenticity. And she reminds in this, that sexual minorities are not a problem for experts and theologians to solve. They are first and foremost, the face of Christ, marginalized, bullied, misunderstood, spit upon and rejected and absolutely beloved of God. That was actually a quote from the Gospel Coalition. So that didn't come from some liberal, progressive, I don't know, united Methodist rag, right? That came from our own, right? Quoted by our own for very good reason. Because again, if we approached any other group and we're just gonna complain and mock and celebrate when a a company that supports them has their stock drop and we go, yeah, that's right, Target. You got you got what you deserve. That's right, Bud Light. You got what you deserve. See what happens when you try to support a, a marginalized people group. You get penalized monetarily. <laughs> like if we're excited about that, it sounds pretty sad, right? Because A, I don't know why we'd want anybody to suffer, but B, it sends a clear message, unambiguous. What you're supporting, those people we don't like. And we will make sure you know we don't like them because they're just, I don't know what they are, icky. Bad, wrong, right? pick your language, right? But that's the message we send. And again, it makes them feel what? Marginalized, bullied, misunderstood, spit upon and rejected. Even though God says, that's my image bearer. That's my son, that's my daughter. Those are my children. I made them, I care for them. I came into the world to, to rescue, save those very types of people. Like that gets so forgotten. So for me, I do get a little passionate about this, right? I really do. Because um, life is hard enough as it is. And we are to be the peacemakers. We are to be the salve of the world. We are to be the ones that are are so different in a world that is so quick to judge, so quick to critique, so quick to mock, so quick to hate, right? Like all the stuff in Titus 3 that we were supposedly once like until we were rescued by the mercy and grace of God. It's just sad when those who sometimes claim the mercy and grace of God just sound as much hateful and hating as anybody that doesn't know the mercy and grace of God. So for me, as an everyday missionary, I go, June, June is rough. Um, June makes me just shake my head, you know, and I go, man, this is our best foot forward. I think we can do better. And I think we need to do better. Now, I know there's going to be some that are listening to this and they're going to say, you already sound woke. You already sound too affirming. You already sound too much in their back pocket, Matt. You, You sound all those things. And I probably would admit that I feel like I need to counterbalance a little bit, you know, and hang over this other side a bit because the other voices are so loud, you know. And I know many will say, dude, I'm not that. I don't hate gay people. I don't hate trans people. I don't hate these different people groups. I just don't approve of kind of what they're doing. I don't approve of how they're pushing blah blah blah. Like I get all of that. I really do. Right? But just hear it as they hear it. Right? Just just get in their their shoes for a moment and realize this is how we feel perceived by a group of people that represents Jesus. That's, that's how it's all comes down to that. We perceive that this group of people that represents Jesus feels like this. They're happy that these companies are tanking. They totally will use money to get what they want. They let us know in no uncertain terms um, that we are unapproved of in their sight uh, and, and therefore they are... They are mocking us relentlessly in these social media spaces and other spaces as well. Like that's how it's understood. And I think that for us, whether it be collectively or individually, is is our sin. I think that's our sin, right? Because there are good ways and bad ways to go about differences. And I don't think these are the good ways. And I don't think they're advancing the cause. And I don't think they're helping the reputation of Jesus. And I certainly know from that community and interacting with that community, because I get more access to that community, um, they message sent, totally got it. They get us, right? That's kind of the way they feel. We got it. You guys don't have to be any more clear. You couldn't be more clear if you wanted to be clear, right? That's just true. Like even just this last week, my one of my kids sent me a video of a pastor in Spokane. Uh, it's gone pretty viral. It's got like millions of views now. Where he talked about parents of trans kids should be shot in the back of the head and strung up on a bridge for everybody to see. You don't You don't go down that road with your kid who's trans and support them if they're trans, right? Which is interesting because some of my friends in Spokane who have trans kids were like, well, that's great. I live in a community that has a pastor that thinks I should be shot in the back of the head and strung up. And all of that's in Jesus' name, apparently. So um, I know that's extreme. That's a whack job. Totally get it. But I go, hey, openly said, put on the internet, buy a church because that seems like that's a, something they should do, Um and as one who, again, has friends and neighbors of parents who have trans kids, gay kids, whatever else, again, we all hear this stuff too. And we're like, man alive, Whew, people don't like my kid very much, which is always the fear of a parent, right? That their kid won't be liked. Um, and I get it. You know, when my we found out at 12, my son was gay, at least he thought that's when he started to realize, like, I think I might be this. Oh, the first thing we felt as parents is, oh, our kid isn't going to be liked. He'll, he'll be liked by one side of society, but our, our people group, he may not be well liked by because we had a pretty good history as kind of conservative evangelicals of not really liking those people very much. We'll say, no, 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 we don't mean it like that. But then all of our cues were very much opposed. And so we're like, gosh, I don't think our kid's going to find a home in this space. And so I'm going to write about that kind of too, but I think that's the fear, right? And so all of us as parents that are in these spaces, we are always stuck in the middle and we're always grieving and we feel a little wounded and Man, sometimes we're just at a loss, you know, because we feel like we don't really have a home on either side, right? The anti-woke side or the woke side. It's like neither one of those places are really our home. Um, We kind of live in an isolation, if you will. And so hopefully that transparency even can give you a sense of, hey, maybe we should all be supporters of doing this differently and not talking about taking June back for Christianity with a rainbow flag to celebrate Noah or whatever else. Just like, hey, man, listen... Be a source of good, you know, be a source of love, be a source of relationship and investment and involvement because lives are changed because people care about other people. Lives are not changed because people shame other people. Just doesn't work that way. At least not that I've ever seen. So Not real, deep, lasting heart change. So anyway, I'm going to stop there. I've been kind of rambling at this point, I think. So kind of getting back into the saddle after a few weeks, it's going to be a rusty podcast for sure. And I confess to probably a lot in my mind on this, a lot weighing on my heart on this. Uh, This is kind of why I'm writing the blog that I am. I also think I'm just going to publish the blog independent of our church mediums in some ways Uh, just because again I think the the nature of it I I don't want it to be like oh this is the position of Redemption Church no this is me trying to give why I was so scared and motivated by fear when I found out my kid was gay Um, that's really what that's going to be about and I'm just like hey that's just our story right so I kind of want to share that story and in that I'll be really open with you why I actually have some gratitude toward the pride movement because for me I go part of like my wife and I have talked about the fact that if there was ever a time that you were to have a gay son, we're grateful that it's now, um, because in history, uh, both human and even recent history in America, even it would have been a terrible time to be a gay man, right? And 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 um, I'm I'm certain that it wouldn't have been Christians who would have pioneered making it safer for gays to be open in society. That took like your Harvey Melks, who was killed, who was assassinated for pushing for gay rights uh, in the 1960s. That took a group of people that were willing to risk themselves and risk their jobs and be maligned and all that stuff to say, hey, can we just treat everybody as just normal human beings on this topic? Like in that sense, I have some thankfulness. You could call it secular thankfulness, but thankfulness that there were people not of my heritage. My heritage fought it the whole way. But there were people that sought to say, can't we just treat everybody as equal Americans on this topic? Uh, and for that, I do have some gratitude. I know for some, you just punched out. But I go, if it were your kid, you know what you'd want? That everybody could at least tolerate your kid, <laughs> right? Just tolerate. Now, I don't even mean, like, love it. Just, just hey, can they have equal protection under the law? Like, that's what you would want for your kid. Nobody wants their kid bullied, right? Uh, hopefully... We could learn that because I think some of these things just feel like we're bullying the gay community with stuff. Um, as much as I think on the the irreligious side, they bully Christians. I don't like that either. I don't like Christians getting bullied. I don't like non-Christians getting bullied. I don't like the bullying effect at all. Um, you know, and so, um, but, but, you know, again, uh, for me, there, there is some gratitude in that sense. Because there was somebody uh, that said, hey, we need to see future generations not feel so run down. Um, And so, yeah, that's just a little openness from me. So I don't know what you'll do with all that, any of that. I don't know. Um, But again, I don't think outrage wins. It really doesn't. Outrage shames. Both sides are outraging. Both sides, you shame. I'm so, so, so fatigued by that. And we can be different. We don't have to use outrage. We can just use grace. We can use mercy. We can use love. We can use loving a neighbor. We can use friendship, relationship, investment, care, coming alongside crazy, wacky things, kind of Jesus-oriented things, because when we do Jesus-oriented things, you know what that means? It means we're being effective everyday missionaries.